me here. We're going to kick it off. My name is Lucas Jigier, Superintendent of Franklin Public Schools. Thank you for coming tonight. Um, this is the first um, forum of two that we'll have for the public. This one is in person. Thank you for navigating the parking lot and finding uh, parking and, and making it here and to join us today. The second opportunity will be an online version. For those who can't get out um, and need to have a virtual option, we have one planned for Monday as well. Um, with those two options, we'll walk through um, basically that story map that was sent out to you. Um, and our real um, our objective today is really to get some feedback and some questions and comments that you would like uh, us to consider as we move forward through this process. Um, we will share more information with you. There's a QR code here for this particular presentation. I was picturing if it was stacked deep, you know, you wouldn't be able to see and then you could at least follow along, but um, that is available as well. Um, and we'll just continue on with our presentation for tonight. Okay, so just for introductions, um, I introduced myself already. I'm joined by my leadership team today. We have uh, two members from Franklin Public Schools joining us. And Mayor Goodman is our school business administrator and Paula Morano, who is one of our assistant superintendents for student services. Uh, we have others that are mentioned there, and I want to also call out the um, elementary and middle school principals who've been a part of not only the meetings that we've had with the redistricting advisory committee, but also um, in working sessions to kind of process what would this look like at your school? What are some of the components that we need to be thinking about? Um, while we're on that topic, I'll just talk about this briefly. We had um, the redistricting advisory committee um, an email went out in the fall to put that together. People showed interest and then throughout in the letter, I think I kind of outlined that, but basically we've met monthly um, to meet and process different um, ideas, data, gather questions, and they were representative of all of our elementary and middle schools. Um, and we had teachers and a community member on there as well, along with school committee, which is great segue. We're joined tonight by Al Charles, Denise Spencer, and Elise Stokes from our school committee. Um, who are part of the um, space needs subcommittee of the school committee that began this process of looking at space and enrollment back in 2022-23 during that school year. And also I see Dave Callahan in the back. Hello Dave, as a school committee rep who's here to listen and learn. And finally, I would point to AppGeo. We're joined by Priya and her team. So Priya is here and this is Ashley. Uh, and they are joining us, and you'll hear from, from them as well throughout this presentation. Okay. So, just to break down the evening, we're a little behind because of parking, but that's okay. I think we can catch up and make time. 6 to 6.10 we had for introductions. We're then moving, actually, we're on, okay, good. Uh, 6.10 to 6.30 is roughly the time. We'll go through the story map and kind of provide context to what was a lot of reading and a lot of uh, information, but hopefully when you walk out of this room, you feel like you know more about this and you've also had an opportunity to share what you would like us to know as well. Then um, the community input section, then we'll open up the survey and there's links in this document also as a resource. Um, everything is, will be posted in the redistricting website, but we wanted to just make sure that you knew for tonight if you showed up where to find that. So our purpose, the purpose is to provide this analysis and this update to our community. This is one of um, a few sessions, that, like I said. We're really gonna review the uh, story map components, and we're gonna present information on the scenarios that the redistricting advisory committee and that team, and feedback that we've received through our email and all those, um, all those functions, 
have brought us to this point so that people have more information and then it allows you to provide input feedback on the scenarios and ultimately complete the input survey by March 15th as a part of that. So you can provide feedback today, but you also have a survey that you can provide info on. Okay, so we'll get into the story map and there's different components that I'll share the mic. But ultimately, you may remember this from the letter I sent out, I think it was Friday, um, that had a link to the story map and then it kind of showed what, would, what was included. Um, a lot of work went in um, to put this, this information together to provide as much information to the community and ultimately um, our, our goal is to arrive at some recommendations for our school committee to consider as we move forward through this process around next steps. I'm gonna skip this because it talks about how to navigate it, but ultimately we're gonna walk through it together. This will be important maybe if you, when you leave here or if you have a computer after. So I'm gonna transition to the story map. This may look familiar, but ultimately um, we wanted to just walk through this and ultimately we wanna get into the options that are described, those three options but just to give you a little bit of background. Originally, the project goals, you know, as you may recall, and I don't wanna steal your thunder, Al, on the why redistricting, but ultimately, we're here um, as a result of um, a recommendation to continue to study based on, we closed Davis Thayer in 2021, we moved students to Keller, and then ultimately it was, we need to really put a, a fresh eye and conduct an analysis of the impact of that and what's the long-term goal for Franklin and what do we need to be considering. So if you go back in real time, we've learned a tremendous amount from the fall until now um, about uh, the areas and a lot of it's in, in this presentation, but ultimately um, that was the, the catalyst for us beginning this process to look at this. Um, you'll see here, try to maintain two-way communication. We've posted our meetings, we have recorded Zooms, we've put the links, we've shared data, just to provide as much information as possible so that uh, we had a level of transparency around this. And ultimately, look at our projections and look at the scenarios so that we can arrive at uh, a well-informed decision and proposal um, for the school committee to consider, who ultimately has the, the final vote on, on this process. So the process of redistricting is really to look at neighborhoods, look at where people live. And if you take the, there's a technical and adaptive piece to this. So if you just look at a town and you look at an address and you look at a home, you can look at it and say, if I just redid this map, it makes sense that this house, if I walked out of my driveway, would attend this elementary school, right? Um, but what we know is that's a technical, that's a technical solution. Ultimately, there's some adaptive components here when you close a school and you move students, when you um, have students who are currently enrolled in, a, in an elementary school together or a middle school together, and now you're talking about redrawing lines, and that's where it becomes adaptive. And I think that's what you have to think about. There's the data, and then there's the human aspect of it that you have to try to balance and consider. You can't make everyone happy in every decision, but ultimately, the more information you have allows you to be thinking about everything that you hear and you try to really think about what are the impacts long-term and short-term when it comes to this. So that's that process. Any town who's gone through this um, would say the same thing um, around these types of process. But the most important thing you could do is come together and try to, um, try to explain where we're at and then hear and listen to what 
um, folks are saying in the community as well. Do you want to talk about the approach house? Sure. Um, so as <coughs> Superintendent DeGear had mentioned, um, this came out of the space needs work that was done last year. Um, we went through the various schools, took a, a cursory look at that, um, gathered some data around how the facilities are, and um, really at that point decided that redistricting was the best course of action to investigate and do an analysis on and see what our options were. So to get there, we wanted to be very thoughtful, uh, very communicative about our approach. Um, and for the approach, it took a lot of different steps to get to where we're at here. Um, so I'm not going to read this for verbatim, but it talks through the various steps that we followed to, to get to this point. Um, and the very first point was really gathering the data. Um, this is something where we partnered with the leadership of the various schools to give us a sense of what their numbers were, what are they using the facilities for, how do they use the building, um, and get that so that we can provide it to FGO so that they can start entering it and doing their calculations. We also um, got information from the schools regarding the students in terms of what students were in what grades um, for various different components. So things such as um, you know, if, if you are uh, getting reduced in free lunch, um, are you, you know, your background, your ethnicity, um, all of that was factored into the work that FGO was given so that they could provide um, the mapping and the data points for um, what was to come. Um, from there, we worked, set up a really a project plan to determine, okay, what are the steps that we want to take to get to um, the next step? And what are the things that need to be satisfied before we can move forward? Um, as part of this work. Um, from there, we took all of that data and built it into what are called components to really, in essence, puzzle pieces um, so that we could then be able to see well, which areas and which neighborhoods go together, which makes sense. Um, is it something that we keep together because geography makes, makes sense? So we'll say, for example, um, a major intersection like 140 cuts through it. Are these two separate neighborhoods? Um, are there cut-throughs between different sections of that, that street and we should keep them together? So just various things to, to really make sure that um, these components made sense and we kept things continuous when it, when it was applicable. Um, we received feedback from our redistricting advisory committee to check our assumptions and provide different approaches that we may not have thought of. Um, and I gotta thank that group because they, they provide us a level of detail that we alone may not have had. Um, so it's definitely great to have that level of involvement. <coughs> From there, we used that data to, be, to build, um, I thought it was like the cheerleaders from the basketball um, We used that data to build various scenarios. And it was an iterative process where we looked at one way and it's as simple as like, you know, let's just make it balanced and um, we'll see if it worked. And if it didn't work, um, we moved on and we adjusted, we tweaked and we modified. And you'll see the outcome of that, uh, which are the three scenarios that we'll, we'll talk through. Um, but we use our guiding principles, which I'll, I'll talk about momentarily, to, to really assess and see, does this make sense? Um, and ultimately, this is, these are principles that the school committee will use to help um, determine you know, is this something that we should be doing? Does it make sense uh, and whatnot? Um, we evaluated those various scenarios that I mentioned um, to, to really distill them because ultimately it's not easy to compare 20 different scenarios. So we, we looked to see okay, what was the best of the 
the options that we've had, what could we use from one scenario into another, and, and, and what are things that we can do that you know, we didn't think of, uh, ultimately get to where we're at. Um, and then lastly, was just to get to where we're here today with this community outreach. Um, I hope that you've heard of redistricting well beyond before the, the email that Mr. Duguier had sent out, um, but we wanted to make sure that the community was aware. Uh, they had a way to interface with us via the um, redistricting email, um, and then also now with the survey that we'll have in, in tonight's activities. So kind of our approach. Um, I hope that, like I said, it was transparent and you felt that you were aware and, and really nothing that we say tonight will really be of a surprise um, because we've been as transparent as we have. Um, so why redistricting? Um, and I think this, this really started with the, the Davis-Thayer closure back in 2000, uh, 2021, as Mr. Jagir had said. And if you can think back to where we were at, we were in the, the midst of the pandemic and the decision at the time was to move all the students from Davis there into Keller um, and not move them as a whole. Um, had it not been pandemic, we possibly could have looked at redistricting at that same time, but given where we were in the situation and the need to close Davis there, it, this was a transition um, and we did not do redistricting at the time. Um, so this is part, as a result of that, um, also, as part of the assessment work that we've done with various companies like Castle Booze, um, they also recommended that we do various redistricting efforts um, and other things as well. Um, so this kind of came as, as from that, that work. Um, and then looking at our population, it, it seemed that doing a redistricting study made sense at this point as well to balance where we are today and then also where we will be in the next few years. Okay, I think we talked through um, the timeline that you've talked, you've heard <clears throat> basically when we started. We've continued to do um, the analysis. We did build and review uh, through November through February with the redistricting advisory committee and the working groups. March is where we're at. And then ultimately um, we have some uh, pretty, pretty big meetings coming up around budget. Um, I just would put a plug out for those, but certainly um, this is um, one of the priorities for us to to nail down the spring and, and get in front. This is why we timed these uh, in March so that we could get the feedback and have the information. So with the guiding principles, you've heard them referenced. We will go over them briefly. You can read them in more detail, but we wanna make sure we get to the options as well. But ultimately, um, the guiding principles were developed. Uh, we started with uh, AppGeo provided a template of some ideas of what they could be. And ultimately, the first thing that uh, Priya said was, this is a, an example, but guiding principles have to be done in a local context because every town is different and every scenario is different. So you have to figure out what are the factors and that's why the first charge of our group as a redistricting committee representative of, of, the, of the 10 schools was to say, what do we want to kind of base any type of scenario or decision on? It's like, how do we, how do we base this and, and anchor this into some guidance, some guiding principles, and that's what the basically what we did. So, um, with that said, I'll just hit on the first two. Um, the first two; these are not in rank order, but certainly want to just point out geographic proximity. I mentioned that a little bit earlier, but one thought was if we were able to take a step away from where our kids go and whatever the scenario is, 
it would make sense if you're doing this type of analysis to say, what is a, where is the logical school that is an elementary or middle school or a complex where my child would go to school based on where I live? Uh, and it's, that's done in a way, it also ties in some fiscal responsibility, but rather than have this chaotic drive across everywhere across town or have someone in one side of town have to go to an elementary school all the way across, it makes sense that where you live you would attend the closest school to that area for the most part. That's kind of how, that's how that decision is made. Basically to create your neighborhoods around a school to attend. Next is instructional and building capacity. It's really trying to take into account the needs in each space, in each school, and saying, can we educate the students that we have in our building equitably across all elementary and middle schools, everyone goes to the high school, but ultimately, um, how, do we, how do we look at our enrollment across schools and say that every school, no matter which one you go to, you have the same resources, the same level of support, and try to look at that across the board. That was the guiding principle that um, people, uh, we, we all felt strongly about trying to make sure of trying to do this analysis. And then for balanced enrollment, um, <clears throat> as the school, school committee has a policy around classroom sizes, we want to make sure that whatever we do does not disproportionately um, increase the volume of students in one school versus the other, just really to be able to have balance that, that works for that specific build, building. Um, so while one school may have higher number of students in total, is it within the optimal usage of that particular building? So it's one of the things that we've been factoring into that. Um, and then for specialized program, just making sure that we keep in account all the specialized programs that we do um, and how, do, how will this affect them um, and try to limit the, that impact as much as possible. And then last but not least, um, which is Contrary to the first one, it seems, is to minimize the impact of families. It's, it's really, how do we move in the, the right way that it's not just moving for the sake of moving? Um, and it's really looking at, well, what do we need for the long term? Um, trying to minimize just, just moving people in general. Um, so I think, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword with that one and also close to schools, given that when we did close the school, we didn't. Redistrict at that time. Um, and then last but not least, making sure that whatever changes we do is fiscal responsible. Um, we don't want to move the students to a location that it causes us to you know, have increased costs in one way or another that could have been avoided. So really looking at, okay, well, if we move to this option, how does this impact our budget and is this something sustainable uh, for the long term? Um, so we, we've talked about some key terms already, so just going to expand on it a little bit. Um, and you'll see these in the slides as well. So we talked around components, and as I mentioned, these are the puzzle pieces um, that we've turned the town into to be able to identify well, which blocks would go to which particular area. Um, there were anywhere from four to, I think, 13 components, depending on the school area that it would go to. So um, Franklin's a very large town, so there's a large, large number of components. But it allowed FGO to be able to modify and manipulate where students go to really fit the scenarios and, and, and really help us uh, provide some you know, scenarios that would work for the long term. Um, functional capacity is really around the usage of that particular building, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's 95% of correct. 
95% at the elementary level. Thank you, 95% at the elementary level. So, so it's really the number that we're looking to try to um, be at least meet or at least be below so that we're not necessarily exceeding our usage, especially where we do know that capacity or enrollment will increase in the next five years. So we don't want to be in a space that we are at that capacity or exceeding it now to exceed it even further down the road. Um, and then last but not least, it's just really important our current utilization is now in those particular buildings um, or based off of the numbers what that utilization looks like. Um, so it's the percentage of, of that functional capacity that we are using. So um, you'll see that in the story map in the various scenarios as we go. Um, so some of, some of the terms. Okay. So you may recall from the meeting, I'm going to stay here so I can scroll a little bit. But ultimately, you may recall from um, the letter that we put out that we've basically honed in from multiple scenarios and different um, uh, side considerations and whatnot um, to get to three, three places with this. And Priya is going to walk through those options. But I would just point out that through this analysis, it wasn't strictly um, a foregone conclusion that you jump to redistricting. It was truly an analysis. And we said that from the beginning. So that's what's been done, um, is really to try to analyze this from a level of coming in and looking at this and taking the data, taking the information we have, working with our consultant, working with our community group and, and working group to come up to a place where if we were to look at three options, one being, okay, let's analyze an option if we stay put and do a master facilities plan and assess our buildings across the board, which should happen. Um, ultimately, what's the impact and can we show the data to the community on what that actually arrived at? And one could say, well, why, did, why, why not just say that in the fall? Because I'd be here in the spring with people saying, you didn't conduct an analysis to see if that was even feasible. So um, that's one piece. The second piece was, we need to go through this exercise and say, wait a minute, what would this look like if we were to look at our schools and, and divide out and redistribute students? You know, recognizing the impact, one of the guiding principles talks about consideration for um, the school closure. It talks about consideration for uh, moving parts, but there are other guiding principles in there as well. And the third was um, an option that came um, through, you know, and Priya will talk to this a little bit, um, around this idea of buffer zones. And you may have read that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit of detail, but that concept um, is one that other districts um, have explored as well where you look, we're in a unique situation in Franklin. I talked about local context mattering, and it does matter, uh, because when you conduct a redistricting, sometimes, from my understanding from talking to Priya and my colleagues, it's either you've built a new building, and now you need to shake it up and see where people are gonna go, or you close the building and you do it then, and we, um, we have to take our context and say, what makes sense for us? And I stand by all the decisions that have been made to get to this point are what needed to happen and should have happened to get us to where we are. And that's where we take this from at this point, based on the information we have. But the buffer zones take into account um, the idea of geographical proximity, if you will, for some of those specific areas during that school closure for, of BT, and looking at those areas and saying, where do I geographically live? And then it creates um, a possibility for consideration um, of an option to um, attend a different school other than Keller in that particular situation. So we'll get into the details of that. I'm gonna kick it over to Priya to continue and you yep. can yep. on that. Thank you. 
Um, thank you, uh, Lucas. Um, so I'm going to get into the details of how we got here. And um, just reiterating what um, uh, Lucas said is that we did start with the components. We build these scenarios. We move them around. Um, we tried to look at these, uh, you know, um, uh, what would the, uh, the balance in the enrollment be, depending on the scenario that we built. And option two is the redistricting scenario that came out of that process. So we actually looked at quite a few scenarios, and that's the one that we are presenting, because that's the one that seemed most feasible looking at all of the options that we had. And given, I mean, I think when, that, when we came to that realization that this is what we're going to present was also the time that we said, OK, maybe a, a master, master facilities plan is needed in any case. So that's where these three options have come from, is that the master services facilities plan is needed. And we look at potentially not doing anything with the, with the components, not moving any, any students, and just keeping it, and then doing the master facilities plan. The second one is picking the redistricting option, which balances students a little bit better. And then finally, the third one is keeping the options, but then using the buffer as a flexibility for the uh, school district to assign students depending on where there is over-enrollment or under-enrollment. So that's basically where these three options are coming from. So let me get into the details. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to walk through everything, because you know I hope that all of you will look at this uh, in your own time at home. But uh, this, is your, this, this is what your current districts look like. And um, this gives you the breakdown of, the, um, of the, the, every school by grade, and then a total of what those, uh, the, the totals for, for each of those schools, K through five, is. And so whatever is highlighted is kind of what you have to you know, keep your eye at. Um, and then we looked at the, and the, these are the terms that you heard from, um, from Al, the functional capacity and the percent utilization. And you can see how. You know, Keller is really high, as expected, given the closure of a school and you know moving everybody into Keller. So this is what you're seeing currently, and then you know where there is um, under enrollment and where there's over enrollment. And um, you can we also looked at these are the demographics that you have you have currently, and what is the the demographic breakdown? What is um, and then of course before we also have the special ed students, the English language learners and the percent of free reduced lunches. So you have all of this information. And each of the scenarios that we looked at, we actually evaluated these numbers and the, the geography as well. Um, so this is what you know. I'm just going to show you the current situation. And then these are your middle schools. Um, this is what the breakdown for the middle schools is and the percent utilization. Again, you can see that um, Annie Sullivan is a bit lower than the other two. Uh, again, the demographic breakdown for the middle schools. And then what we also have for you is projections. So these are uh, projections for 2027, 2028, and what happens to the students. So there is a decline, and then there's expectation of a rise, which is a very typical um, you know, pattern that you see in school districts. There's decline, and then invariably there's a rise again. Um, and um, with the projections, you can see that you know, things are not looking good for Keller in, in, by 2027. Um, and other, the other schools are also getting up there in the, in the 90s. So this is what your, you know, your current, if you kept everything the same, this is what is expected to happen. Um, and then um, 
I'm going to jump ahead to our redistricting scenario. So this is the scenario that we developed, and um, some of the main takeaways from these scenarios is that we did, I think balancing the elementary schools was one of the key pieces that you know, we, we looked at when, when picking the scenario that worked. And then also, the scenario, if you look at it, it is geographically con you know, contiguous. So the, the continuity sort of makes sense. Like if you look at the map, it says, okay, this map makes sense. And then um, what we are still finding is that Sullivan is still a little underutilized. There are some you know, discrepancies in the um, concentration of economically disadvantaged students. And then given everything, it's going to be 19% of the student body that's actually going to be redistricted if we pick this scenario. So that's a significant number. And then um, the projection, projected utilization for 27, 28 is still pretty high. So that's what we're coming up with, in, you know, despite the sort of the best analysis. So there are pros and cons. That's the key thing to keep in mind. So if you look now at the, at the scenario, um, you can see how, of course, you know, there were some components from Keller that moved to Kennedy. There are some, you know, um, uh, uh, areas here that you know we moved Parmenter into Jefferson and then of course the key thing was making Keller a little more contiguous by putting all these you know what is currently Oak back into Keller so you can see how um, the contiguity was a was a big piece in this redistricting scenario and then if you look at the numbers themselves you can see here you know beautiful utilization balanced but this is what is a uh, little, you know, deceptive. Is that yeah, I got this, you know, uh, a very good balance. But then, what is it? What are you uh, giving up for it? And and you know, that is that's a that's a choice that one has to make. Is it okay? You know, these are some of the things that we we see. There's um, you know, Oak and Parmenter have high higher uh, disadvantaged students, um, and also um, you find that um, the middle schools have. Still, Sullivan is at 47% now with this, in this scenario. So the point I'm trying to make is that this is the redistricted scenario that we, that we came up with. And it has its pros, you know, the geographic contiguity, the balance in the elementary schools, but it also has its cons. Um, and, um, and then, of course, you, know, you can also look at the projections and, and um, how you know, we are at 95%, remember that, so um, it's not quite there, but you know, it still gets up there with this scenario. So as far as utilization, uh, we're in relatively good shape. As far as middle schools, still it, comes, it gets really low. So this is what, this was the actual scenario that we built. If you think about it, this is really the, the true scenario. The, the one and three options are essentially keeping status quo, but making a few tweaks in the, in, in the third one. And um, so getting to what this third scenario is, and that is giving the school, the district, uh, a little flexibility. And a lot of school districts use this as a tool, and they're called buffer zones. And they tend to be at the edge of uh, you know, districts. So OK, depending on the geography of the, the town uh, and the way the districts are laid out, where the schools are, um, you will have it between districts that it gives the district a little um, uh, flexibility, saying, OK, you know, this school is over-enrolled, so now any incoming students, we will assign them to uh, the other schools. So that you know, there's a little bit of flexibility there. And so the, the, the theory here is that we would, we've picked these 
these components which were close to oak and parmenter. And the idea is that given that Keller is over-enrolled, we would have, you know, the, the district would have a little flexibility in enrolling these students in either uh, Oak or Parmenter, or keeping them in Keller, or having a choice. And I'll let you know, the, the superintendent speak in a little more detail to what the choices are. But essentially, spatially, as far as we are concerned, the idea is that you pick these, and given that these were also, um, uh, you know, these, were, these potentially were Thayer components, uh, there could be some flexibility here for um, uh, locating these students in one of the other schools. And it could be a choice, it could be a, a decision of the school as well. And I'll also want to point out, this is something important that I missed out at the beginning, is that with all these scenarios, the, uh, especially with one and three, um, the um, Annie Sullivan Middle School and Keller spaces will be used flexibly. So I think there's assurance from the Keller principle that all fifth graders will still be at Keller, and it's only certain programs that will be at Sullivan. So there's no, um, you know, it's not like Keller is going to get split and put into Sullivan in, in any way. The idea is that, you know, there'll be more flexibility in using the spaces. So I'll let you speak to the buffers, but I think the point to be taken as far as the buffers are concerned is that we picked these areas geographically because they would be convenient for families to get to Oak and Parmenter. Lucas. Okay, thank you. So with the buffer zone considerations, this would be, in this scenario, it's an optional scenario. So people, uh, if, if it's like scenario one to say you're assigned to Helen Keller Elementary, if a parent opted and wanted to request that their student attend a different school in this scenario. That's what would come to us. We have policy around redistricting, I mean, I'm sorry, reassigning a, a, a student for, it could be administrative reasons, which in this case, um, there are medical hardships. There's a couple of reasons why students are, um, are relocated on a very um, limited basis. But in this particular scenario, we do have policy that allows that. What I, why I say that is because a question you might have is, well, what about transportation? Well, we are guaranteeing and we have an obligation and a responsibility to make sure that we trans transport students to school that live beyond the two-mile mark. And we do that, and we would continue to do that at Keller for every kid in that scenario. But if you wanted, and this, is, this comes up every year, and, and, and requests come if uh, someone moves across town, they want to finish out until uh, a break or something like that, we work. It's at the responsibility of the family to transport their child in a situation where, because if you think about it from the transportation, and to send a bus out of the route to pick up a student and go to a different school, it's not a, it's not a feasible option. So that's why that buffer is set up that way. Um, there's consideration for voluntary opt-in, one piece I would mention is, as we continue to assess our facilities, we um, would want to point out that I wouldn't want to make assurances that I couldn't keep. So I would stand in front of whoever and then make it very clear in writing that in these scenarios, if we did a master facilities analysis that ended up with some recommendation to do something different along the way, if there was an outcome of a deeper dive at all of our facilities, and we had to make a, a a recommendation that the school committee ultimately decided down the road, 
I would hate to give an assurance that you would get to stay as a result of this. But if every, you know what I'm saying? So I just would want to be clear about the rules around the, the rules of the game for a buffer situation. Um, Priya, Priya mentioned, um, we talked at one meeting at our redistricting advisory committee, we talked about the fifth grade. There was concern from uh, the redistricting group around having students have to leave and go to Phoenix Sullivan side. We uh, met with the Keller principal, he happens to be here, Hi, Mr. Stark. Um, we met with Mr. Stark, walked through the scenario about having our classrooms and having all the students. Um, there are other types of support positions and things like that that um, would be used flexibly at Annie Sullivan and have classrooms or offices on that area. But ultimately, um, I just want to be clear about that because that was a question that came up along the way. So we, we will continue to communicate that and make it clear. But ultimately, that's what the buffer zone with that option would, would be. And when you look at the map that Priya showed, um, I received questions in the, uh, over the summer around, there are families that know, um, were wondering about that just before any of this even started. You know, I happen to live like within walking distance to X school. Is this an option? And we said no, because we needed to kind of go through this process and we didn't want to start um, start something that we weren't really clear around and the school committee didn't have their uh, heads wrapped around and endorse um, that type of thing, but it felt like as we do this process, it felt like the time to open that up and explore that as an option. <clears throat> and you went through there's just one thing that I want to, uh, mm -hmm. I think we have recorded, so I'm just going to do a quick, um, as far as the map is concerned, um, for those who um, you know, want to dive in a little bit more, you can enlarge the map like this, it'll expand, and this is best done, if you can, on a desktop rather than on, your, on a mobile device. Um, you can, the, the idea of the slider is it's showing you the elementary and the middle schools, um, you can also zoom in to it and um, you know get down to uh, you know where your home is to see what the split is um, and you know uh, move around the map. You can you know drag drag it and move it, and then you can also see what um, each of these components. And I think I'm the yeah. When you click on them, it'll give you some information about the that specific component, how many students there are on it, in it, and uh, a total of the students as well. So just some, some basic tips on how to um, move around in this map. And I'm going to go back home, and um, I think it's this one that puts me back. So, and then there are a couple maps. This first one does that slider. But then when you get into the elementary schools, this is just the elementary school map. So just some little tips on how to, how to manage the map and you know, take a look at it. Again, you know, zoom in, move out. You can use your, use your scroll on your, uh, on your mouse. Um, that's a good way to do it as well. And then as you are moving on the story map, the map that's relevant to the tables stays the same. And then when you go into another topic, it'll change depending on what you're looking at. So, now that we're done, it's going to be share your thoughts. Great, thank you. All right. Thank you, Priya. Okay, so I'm just going to jump back to the presentation. We're ready to open this up for a community. 
we thought we didn't know how many people we'd get so we adopted the school committee guidelines around three minutes um, I'm looking at the number here I think we can be flexible with that um, but certainly um, we want to give everyone an opportunity to uh, provide comments things you want us to know any questions if we can't answer the question in the moment or we need to really be clear and be confident in our answer we may take that and record it and share that back out if we're able to answer in the moment we're certainly um, willing to do so as well but um, I would look to do I have my note takers there's a lot of people here okay so just to just reiterate um, side conversations just in case you know we've all watched school committee meetings sometimes we want to make sure that we're respectful of everyone asking once again no decisions have been made we've really gone through this as a process and ultimately we will share the information with the space needs committee and process it all, consider it all, to arrive at ultimately what the goal is as a recommendation and once again the final decision. So um, you have the right people in the room um, if you are ready to either share a comment, question, or provide some feedback. Um, we're, happy to, we're happy to do that now. Do we need to give them a mic or can they just speak loudly? You could possibly repeat their question. Okay, fair enough. We need to. Yes? Um, based on what I'm seeing, uh, I may be interpreting it wrong, but is it fair to say that JFK and Horace Mann would have people come, uh, would have other districts, part of other districts coming in, but nobody from the JFK Horace Mann district moving out? Are you talking about, so maybe what we can do is just so uh, we can orient scenario two. Is that what you're asking your question uh, about? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. Okay, just the, the proposed. Right, I'm just, I'm thinking on the fly now, but if you could tell us which option your question's about, it'll help us kind of orient. So an option two question is, can you, Priya, can you, yeah, we can, we can, yeah, we can look at that and I mean, so always. Would anybody be coming out of JFK and Horace Mann into a different district or is it just different districts coming into the Horace Mann JFK district? Because it seems like those are underutilized, <coughs> right? So I just want to make sure I'm interpreting that correctly. So for option two though, so, if we, so I think the, the part of the trick is when we say JFK, Horace Mann, it's, it's time yeah. JFK, Horace Mann, and Hope. So, because Oak goes into Horace Man. So, if we did option two per this, there would be some movement out of Oak into Keller. There would be some movement from former Keller into Oak. So, there would be both movement in and out. But ultimately, the end number would be similar to what it is today. So, in and out of Horace Man. Horace Man, correct. Okay. As far as JFK, let's scroll down pretty real quick. I think the only. The only, yeah, is is is, is Keller. Would be, could be some color movement into JFK. And then this one, this is one uh, K, uh, Kennedy yep. JFK. Yep. So there, thank you. Yeah. Yep. So there would be some movement in and out of the horseman JFK. Kind of. So if you look at this map, uh, if it's it's based on the elementary schools. So if you look at the name of these components, which is what each of these are. The name is indicative of what it was before. So if you look at anything that says, this is saying Kennedy, 
and, and now it's pink, so it's actually oak now, but it used to be Kennedy. So, but then these are all still oak. And you can see this one is saying Keller 4. So this is you know, the fourth component of Keller, but now it's yellow, it's JFK, so we move that one here. Similarly, all these are oak, but now they've become Keller. So whatever the, the, the name that you see is what it was before we redistricted. And just to piggyback on that, the idea of the component breakdown was trying to look at when we talk about routes and trans transit, thinking about the backside of or the north of the town and then the separation from the highway and trying to look at if you had to create balance. That was the charge and option two. Take take like where your kid goes and the love, the great memories they and bonds and whatnot and all of those like um, emotional things that are tied to this. When you start to look at like if we had these schools just placed here, like in a new town, what would make sense to go where based on the morning commute, the afternoon commute, and kind of the, the way it would roll. Okay. You're welcome. Um, for scenario three, you had, or for option three, um, where there's the bubbles where people can choose. Like a buffer zone. The buffer zone, yeah. So for the 27-28 projection, are you assuming everyone would choose to continue to go to Keller, or what is the, what's the data behind that projection? So we don't have a projection of how many would go, but what we would have to do is, that's why it's not an automatic. It has to be a request and then an approval based on numbers. It's similar to how districts will do like a school choice where they say we have school choices when you might know other towns that participate would have um, an application to go to another school in another town, but they limit the number of seats that they have based on the enrollment they expect in the class. So what we would have to do in that option is it would first have to be approved, but we would have to analyze how many how many seats are there without um, over overestimating can fit once we've done our scheduling um, across the board and say, you know what, we can fit this many students in the third grade, <coughs> this elementary school would be over par mentor in, in this scenario. But ultimately, what, what are the numbers and where does that fit? But I think that, and that's yeah. something that, that would be a choice for incoming students as well, um, not just the current Keller students. So that would be a decision that would have to be made, but there's basically, is it, is it current seated students at Keller only? Is it all? Right. Or do we have the option to say, um, the thing is with transportation, <coughs> what kids that you enroll in the school. So we have to look at where someone lives. Um, but if they're a new person who's never gone to a Franklin school, yeah. that's another consideration to consider what do we do in those cases. Do we assign them at the school that has a lower enrollment? in a particular grade level, or do we follow suit with what we've done? Does that make sense? Yeah, so it might be case by case then, it sounds like you're gonna have to analyze it as those requests come in. In that scenario, I think we would have to propose that as what is the school committee, uh, and ultimately what we feel comfortable with doing. Yeah. Yes. Just to clarify your question though, the numbers that you see here yeah. are the same as option one. There's no difference in the numbers at all because these are just projections. So what we've done is we used what the, uh, the, the demographer who's done the work for the projections, what we've done is they've projected based on the district, saying that, okay, the Keller district, we're projecting to be this many students. 
And then what we used is we used the current lo student locations as a proxy, essentially, to then do this projection. So that's how we come up with these numbers. They're not perfect, but you know, it gives you some metric to look at. Look at okay. Yeah. And just to add, you had a great point. I didn't even think about it when we were doing this. Uh, so that's why it's a great like, collaborative approach. Um, we'll actually add a note in here to say that the projections are not assuming any movement, so it's not okay. as confusing as it was, because I, I get where you're coming from with that. Great. Thank you. Yeah. You all that. For option two, which is the um, districting, if you are a Davis Thayer family and you're part of the 19% that's being redistricted, are we going to be given the option to stay at Keller and not be moved again? In a redistricting option, it's it's a redistricting option. I mean, it's a redistricting scenario in that case. So the idea of staying, um, having things stay while we continue to, to look. Um, when you look at the, the option for number two, and looking at um, how we've distributed, we've really looked at where these households are and where they live, where, where your house is in comparison. Recognizing the reason that these options have developed the way they have is because of the considerations for, um, for, for that. So we recognize that there are students that um, would potentially have moved twice, right? And that's something that I think is resonating and heard from, from folks who were impacted the first time. So, um, but in that scenario, that's, that was really look at if we redistricted what would it look like. Because if we, uh, if you think about it from the other side, if we didn't do that, we have to create a system that was a separate track for busing transportation. And I just think as a community, and as a, it just wouldn't, I don't know how that would work as far as financially and timing to get kids picked up and bused separate as a, as a one-off to of redistricting that took place in the whole town. Does that make sense? Right. So in that case, okay. we recognize we still have students going to the elementary school now. Thank you. Feel free to chime in if I'm missing it. It wasn't meant to be a bad report. We're trying to answer what we can as you came out tonight, but there may be ones we have at the table. Uh, so within the buffer zone, if I my daughter going into kindergarten now, was able to go to the school that we chose. Yeah. And then my son, who's a couple of years younger, in a few years, would he get priority to go to the same school? Or would, how would that all shake out? Because obviously I don't want to try to place it. So uh, the way we've kind of modeled this out, it would be to try to keep families whole and be a part of one community. That was the, the goal in that particular purpose. So with the caveat that if there was ever a, a large um, kind of redistrict effort along the way um, within the time frame, it may result in, I, would, I just don't want people to come back and say, wait, we did this. But that is not, right now we're trying to use, get input from the community and really arrive at some recommendations. So to answer your question, when you try to keep families whole, maybe a part of one community to create Yes, Hi. Um, you mentioned the uh, master facilities plan. Is there a, like a best and a worst case scenario for how soon or how long you would have to redo this process? And I know, I know that this was brought up at the other two meetings, but I, I think it's a pretty important point that this could all be 
like nullified in a couple of years. And so, like we, we might want to consider that on the. I'm, that's that's not necessarily accurate. I know you're considering that for this, but I don't know if it was highlighted truly with option three that the kids might just end up moving again in like maybe a couple of years. So that was what I was curious. Like, what's the what's the worst and best case scenario when we might have? Can we write that one down? Because I don't want to quote a uh, timeline. Thank you. I understand the question and certainly want to be considered. And what we can do is communicate out. We need to have a little bit more of an internal. Because the idea of, a, of an assessment or an analysis, a deeper one on facilities, the town's also conducting um, a timeline form, as you know, as well. So there's probably components in there that I don't want to speak to. But I understand the question. And ultimately, um, we want to be thoughtful through that process as well. And if it's a few years out, um, and that's why we try, I'm trying to be transparent around that. Yeah, no, I think that, I think it's good that you guys were. It's just yeah. I, I understand. We can we can um, we can answer that question. Thank you. I I just wanted to go back. Um, I didn't want to interrupt the other folks when yeah. talking. Um, I have it written down for option two. If you're a DT family, do we have an option to stay at Keller and not be moved again? Um, I just wanted to point out that. In the guiding principles, we talked about um, you know that there's a large population that, that's recently experienced shuffle from the DT closure, and that we want to do our best to uh, minimize folks moving again. I also think that I know that we keep talking about the school committee vote. Whatever scenarios brought to the school committee, the school committee can amend right. however they see fit. So they could add that caveat to anything. They could take anything away. Right. They could completely change the scenario. Um, that's all within their purview. Um, so I just want to make sure that that's out there too. That right. <laughs> that's your kid. Is that my kid? Yeah. That's your kid. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my kid. <laughs> <laughs> Who, whose kid is that? <laughs> so, no, so to clarify too, it's a recommend. We're arriving at a recommendation, but ultimately the final decision and the details of that decision uh, rest with the school committee. Thank you for clarifying. Per policy, the school committee um, assigns attendance boundaries. That's a, that's a quote from JCA. So with that being said, it's possible that they could accept option two where it's redistricted, but then create a policy that allows kids to be like grandfathered into their existing school. We could sort of make whatever takes over my book that we that would pass the book. Based on obviously all the considerations right. from all the information that the money or the lack Because of the the consideration would be there from a family perspective, but we would also want to provide what's the impact of that decision and what would that look like, what would that do? But, and maybe it's that's something that's weighed and but yeah. I, so I have, I have two questions. Um, first, um, in option three, when we're looking at this buffer zone, what's the plan? I mean, I, I think it's tricky because without providing transportation, what's the plan if nobody opts in to send their kid to Oak when, you know, if, especially without the transportation piece? Um, that would be, you know, off the bat, my concern. You don't have enough people, and you're over numbers at Keller. What's the solution? So two things. One, we've 
the numbers you see are if every kid stays in the district. It stays in the school at Keller. That doesn't assume any move. For one, two, enrollment continues to decline through 2020. So the number gets lower okay. uh, until 2026. Okay. It comes back up. Uh, and actually 2027, it, it starts to climb back up. And then we get back to like the numbers we have today around, I want to say 2029. Don't quote me on that one, we're gonna double check. Um, but uh, basically, it factors in, if every kid stayed and nobody wanted it, Great. that's the number. Okay. And we're gonna see enrollment decline. And then we're gonna come back up and we're not gonna get back to even where we are today until 2028 or something. Projections. Okay. So that's what we tried to offer in this kind of like a, a consideration as we, as we see it. Yeah. Okay, um, and then number two. Oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, as well. Go. Yeah, so with scenario three, one thing that we, we factored in is, is the facilities plan as well. So okay. this would allow just some time between now and the completion of the facilities plan to alleviate some of the stressors. Okay. And then once the completion of the facilities plan, we would have another assessment or redistricting. And at that point, I we would think it would be, there wouldn't be, there would be different situations than we're here. It would probably be more required versus Okay. Um, want my second one? <laughs> okay. Um, so I am um, a parent of that monster class uh, at Keller, uh, the fourth grade class. Um, so I'm trying to understand what it's going to look like with them at Annie's, or so they won't be at Annie's Melvin, but then like how? Can you explain this? So would it be like specials are in Sullivan? Or are they offices? Or like, what exactly is that? So, Mr. Stark, do you want to chime in? Just I told him I might ask him that question. <laughs> so the, um, if we think about the physical layout at Keller, um, each grade level hallway has five classrooms. Um, so currently, our um, classes um, we have four sections or five sections. Okay. Um, so our current fourth grade has five sections and would rise up into essentially five available classrooms in our fifth grade. As we think about using space flexibly, one of the things that Mrs. Morrison and I have been talking about is there's this distinction between the Keller Annie Sullivan complex was designed. These are the Keller spaces, these are the Annie Sullivan spaces. Now we're starting to use those spaces more flexibly um, between shared staff and um, offices and things like that. So we would just continue to work together to borrow space to be able to meet our students' needs in the way we, ways we are now. Um, but we would essentially have room for all of our classrooms on the color side, if you will, because every grade level has five classrooms. And we don't have any classroom. We don't have any sections that exceed five classrooms right now. And it's not currently. You're not using it this year. You're not using it this year. You are. We are. Oh. Yep. Thank you. Sorry, I can. Oh. Um, so the scenario three, which is part of option two, the scenario, the redistricting scenario that we went with, um, there, it seemed like in the scenarios, there was really like two main ones, right? Because the first one wasn't really a contender, and the fourth one was kind of like an add-on to the third, right? So it was really the, 
two and three seem to be the. Are you going back to the so, um, yeah. advisor? Yeah, so I, I had okay. a, yeah, just a quick question on. Um, so earlier we mentioned that it's like roughly impacting like 20% of students in scenario three. But is that, that it, it has outsized impact on some schools and not others, right? Because it doesn't move like 20% of mm. Jefferson kids mm. or 20% of the. Um, uh, Kennedy kids, right? And so, I was, but in scenario two, there was more kind of like, mm -hmm. there was more like, everybody like moving. Components in every district moved. So I was kind of curious about is there, um, is there a reason why scenario three was the ultimately the one that, that is the choice that you went with? I'm, I'm this scenario three, or are you talking the scenario three that became this, number two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's I just wanted to say, yeah. right, right, right. Just scenario three. Right. There was also a scenario two, and like there was that those two things, right? Yeah. So but in scenario right. two of the components, yeah, that kind of that kind of impacted all the schools kind of equally, and then scenario three kind of impacts a couple schools a lot. And so I was kind of curious what the rationale was behind that. And I think it goes back to the, the guiding principle of minimizing the impact. So I think, I don't know, recall like what the holistic number was, if it was larger than 19% or not with that scenario, but this one, while it was concentrated in certain areas, it was smaller holistically, is what I recall. And I think the balance is probably better in this one as well, because that was what we were the looking for. The percentages are slightly different between the two scenarios, if you look back, but I was just curious. I, I figured it was less components, but it does impact, like Oak in particular, has a pretty outsized impact in this scenario. So scenario two looked at two, trying to, trying to just analyze the town, the location of schools, where people lived, and then take in consideration all the areas in which we transit. So I think the, the thought of if we picked a different scenario that minimized, like impacted less people, but actually wasn't um, geographically or like analytically the best choice, it felt like if we're going to consider a redistricting option, and it happens to be that this choice makes sense on an analysis level of like where people should attend a school based on where they live and other components. It felt like that was it. Rather than um, the opposite of that saying, well, this percentage is lower, but it's actually not as efficient as the other one. It felt like we needed to put forth like, through the analysis. So I would just, I would add that as just a, an additional piece. It's a good question and I know we, we've recorded it. Um, so, looking at the three options, all of them look like in the end Keller is at 100% or higher, right, in the projections. And we know we're going to move towards this master facilities plan. If option two moves like roughly 300 kids, is I think what I saw, why would we want to keep that one on the table if we know we have this master facilities plan right around the corner and potentially move 300 kids and then have to rehome them again? That's a factor. That is a consideration. We set out to conduct this analysis with the goal of looking at, as you meant, we already kind of talked through this, but to arrive at the fall and look at our numbers, 
try to be as responsive as possible to conduct an analysis and show what that would mean. Um, but ultimately, that that is a factor. Uh, option two was recommended or approved or whatnot. And I'm not, not to say that it, it is. It's just a matter of this is what it looks like if you were to do this now. And then over the next few years, as kids continue to move through grades, this is the impact of, of that. But ultimately, you could have another set of students at the end of this. But that's, uh, well, I wouldn't want to predetermine what a master facilities plan would, would yield, but I wouldn't also want to predetermine what the recommendation from what the, um, the decision of the school committee would be. Ultimately, this is the opportunity to ask these questions and provide input on what you, know, you, you feel like might be the best thing. Uh, can you speak a little bit to exactly what the NASA facilities plan does, what, what the goals of that are? Right. So um, I'll speak for the school side of it, um, and that's something that we would uh, obviously lay out for our community and whatnot. But ultimately, it's trying to look at the our facilities across the board, not just from a geographic standpoint or redistricting, but looking at the age, the life of our schools, the appliances, the boilers, every every component, the roof, and then start to do an analysis of what does it cost to maintain this building, what does it cost to redo it, when when are they up for uh, upgrades um, in the capital budget or in the facilities plan? Um, we're working with our facilities director annually to look at how do we improve our buildings. You probably, if you've seen any of the school committee meetings where we've talked about capital improvements to school security. Um, roofs, boilers um, are all on there. So it's really about trying to continue this work and look at the TIG stock in all of our buildings and where are they at, what's their uh, capacity as, as far as like life, life, lifetime, and continue to also, we've done this work to kind of look at our town and look at how this would work, but ultimately uh, put forth recommendations on what would the next steps be as we look at enrollment coming down and then climbing back up in that time frame, what makes the most sense for Franklin? What makes the most sense? And our goal would be to create a path for what are we doing and why, and what makes the most sense with regard to the schools that we have in this town, and how we educate kids in these schools, and put forth a, a, a comprehensive plan as it relates to the physical spaces and the physical plant, if you will. So in theory, it could result in closing different schools <coughs> Well, and I thank you for mentioning that because part of the recommendation to conduct an analysis, if you remember, during the Davis State closure, Kessel Bruce put out a report. Um, I referenced it in the Redistricting Advisory Committee. We've linked it on the Redistricting website for you as well. They conducted a report. Um, they talked about how they did not consider, we didn't say this to this group, and I have to remember to say this, they didn't consider the report how we utilize space for our in-district programs. So that's all the special education programs that we provide students where we allow, we keep them in our community, we educate them. But it didn't account for that in that report. So we had to do our own work around that anyway. Separate of that, at the end of the report, they had uh, a list of uh, feasible or not feasible options. So I don't have that report in front of me, but you can find it on the website. And ultimately, in that, it, it laid out a few different scenarios. It talked about closing schools, it talked about combining schools and merging them, it talked about, um, it was about nine scenarios. And some of them said not feasible. This is not feasible. A few of them said this would be feasible if you conducted a master facilities plan. 
so ultimately, as we uh, entered the fall, it was we have this report, it, uh, people were discussing it, but we hadn't actually done our own analysis of kind of where we're at in, in this time and, and to do that. So to answer your question is, um, that particular uh, architect firm, which built, has built many schools in our, in our district, um, provided a, a, a preliminary kind of report, not preliminary, <coughs> a final report of the state of our schools, and kind of, we would have to build off of all that work. Does that make sense? Just a question, to clarify. Um, so as the output of the facilities plan, we'd have our proposal for how we want to use the facilities, what upgrades or what changes need to be made to the, the, biz, the buildings itself. But ultimately, we bring that to the town to secure the funding and approval to do that and enact that. There, there's a, if that's what was arrived, if a town, I'll use a town, arrived at needing to make um, decisions or request that um, funding be provided, we would go through the proper channels. And I think in a situation like you just proposed, which I wouldn't want to get ahead of uh, an analysis, I would say there has to be a partnership between town and school around anything having to do with uh, a facility, um, any changes to our facilities other than how they currently are. So I'm thinking of any, you could insert any town, yep, anything exactly. they do. So, yep. but there is a process for that. And some of that takes a long time. You know, you're all here, I'm assuming, as elementary and middle school parents. When you start thinking about big picture plans, you might have kids that uh, progress through by the time you conduct an analysis and any kind of major projects are done. Do you know what I mean? So um, we're trying to think about tomorrow, but also keep an eye on the next, the, the next run. So when I mentioned the pathway earlier, it's what's, how do we identify our pathway for Franklin and what makes the most sense? Thank you. Yeah, sorry. I'm getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> I moved. I moved. Thank you. Um, okay, I might be getting ahead of this a little bit, but uh, you mentioned transportation. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I understand what the law is. Uh, of the okay, if the district, if redistricting is to take place if that's what the school committee uh, agrees to. Do we have any idea, probably not, uh, of the number of students that would require transportation uh, that don't require it now? I mean, is it too early for that, Miriam? No, so we've done some analysis. I don't have those numbers at my fingertips, but we have done some analysis uh, based on the data and the and the, um, the components that would be moving. We've done some analysis as to what the transportation costs might be. Uh, the the summary I would say in scenario two is the majority of students that might move from Keller to Oak are in a position right now where they would be receiving free transportation. They would be receiving transportation to Keller at no fee because most of them are over two miles. However, when they were, if they were to be redistricted to Oak, they would likely be under two miles. Um, and so if we were to provide transportation, it would be on a fee. Thank you. You're welcome. Any comments, questions? 
before I, I want to continue to allow to field questions, but also comments, and then we can talk next steps. So we have two. I have a question about the 19% per scenario two. I was wondering if it could be broken down to previous DT families, and you could find out how many people would actually be moving within the 19%. So we're at Keller right now, and obviously we'd be moving some of us to Carmen or some of us to O, but what is the percentage of previous DT families that would have to move again? How many Keller families would have to move? How many, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not moving you have right now, but I'm just curious. We, we, we worked on, we, we, but, yeah. Is that something that can be shared, the percentage? Yeah, we can. We I think can we have a total number. Okay. Actually, we have a number, not a percentage, I think, but I don't want to misquote. Um, but we can. We did. We did consider that through this process. Kind of, how, what are we talking about? Yeah. When we think about kids and classes, and, and what what's the impact? So yes, we can. We can put that information. Thank, Thank you. you. Yep. Hi. Hi. Um, I was just wondering. I think it's Keller 13. Um, it's a very small area. I believe it's just. One one street. Yeah, I'm on it. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering just what was the factor in that getting bumped out when the rest of the Keller community in that area stays Keller? Is that behind that? It's Mill Street. No, it's it's up a little Street. further. It's Mill's Mill Street. Next up, it's George Mill. No. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. So that I guess I can speak to some of that. Yeah. Um, Mill Street uh, connects to, off the back end of Mill Street, uh, connects to, I don't know what the road is coming down no, off the top no. of my head. Park Street in Northwood? Northwood? No. Um, this one? Yeah. It's that one right there yeah. that she's pointing to on the map. And so that was the, the gist of it behind Coretta? the... Concert. Conchetta Way. Conchetta. Yeah. So, so going down Mill Street, uh, that is an option in terms of um, uh, neighborhoods and um, connecting to Parmenter, that was one option that was considered, and that's why um, that was looked at uh, um, as an option to go to Parmenter. Yeah, because this is a cul-de-sac here, which, you know, and so yeah. there's no access that way. So you'd right. Solutions will be determined 
five, before you'll tell, you'll know that you're in the new school, right? Right. So you're like, saying like, that. I, I know that I'm in solutions yeah. now. And right. I, yeah. I'm assuming this is going to happen before the new school year. Well, we don't, we, we don't know. It'll happen before a new school year. Okay. What school year it is, we don't know. It's yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so it depends on the so year. I think timing, time, the school committee would be very cognizant of timing yeah. as far as making a big change. Yeah, because yeah. obviously people want to be able to like. You mentioned at the beginning that you had some separate meetings with principals from the elementary and middle schools. I'm wondering what feedback. I know we have the Keller principal here. Sure. Uh, my kids go to Oak, and for this scenario, 40% of the Oak kids would move out. So I'm wondering what feedback you're hearing from the principals about the impact there. And they, they were at the redistricting meeting. We're lucky uh, to have all of them here, um, either online or in person through the department. So um, I think the, I don't want to overspeak, but I do know that each principal is really just advocating for um, wanting to maintain stability in their school and recognizes that this isn't the decision that they make, but ultimately provided the information that we would need to share with the community, get input and then uh, present a, a feasible recommendation to, to the school committee. So the idea of keeping kids whole in a community was important to principals around wanting to make sure that they, um, that, was, that was important. The guiding principals, they were part of the discussion when we created those to look at um, all those considerations. So the idea of uh, students moving in a scenario two, it's a, it's a move um, and uh, I think there's a, a cognizance to that, that there would be shifts and whatnot if that was the case. I think Elise just pointed out around being kind of thoughtful around timing and whatnot. But ultimately, um, I feel as though um, they're just really advocates for their kids and their families to make sure that they have, they're stable and that they, whatever uh, decisions are made, will be thoughtful through the process and react accordingly. Mr. Sherlock. Yeah, hasn't been mentioned yet, but you did announce fiscal analysis is part of this, but is there any fiscal benefit one way or the other in terms of the options? Are they budget neutral, budget negative, positive, any, and it may be early, but I just mm -hmm. thought we'd re reference that while we're at it. So uh, if we stay put, it's, it's budget neutral in the sense of there's no change to how we've budgeted and prepared, right, for our staffing. In the buffer zone, option three, um, the transportation, if you choose, because it's within that time frame, you're making that choice, that doesn't impact our budget um, financially because of the idea that you bring your student to school. Um, the middle choice, we've, uh, as Ms. Simmons said, we've talked about how does, uh, running the numbers, how does that look? And if you're actually putting kids um, in schools that are closer to where they live, you're under that two mile mark. So there's those factors. So busing becomes optional for families if you're within that, that threshold. So is there anything to add to that, Miriam, as far as? I think the only thing I would add at this point is, um, you know, in terms of the scenarios and the balanced enrollment, I don't, I, I we haven't gone into a, a deeper um, analysis financially 
um, on a school-by-school -school level relative to classrooms in that, in that uh, level of depth. Um, so that's not available yet, but relative to transportation, um, that those are the, those are the pieces that Mr. Jair spoke to, and, and I would agree with that. Uh, transportation is the biggest component, um, and um, and and I've already talked about what that impact was. From my observation and analysis, Chloe, it seemed like it was relatively budget neutral. There may be minor pieces, but maintained within the budget, moving from one school to another school, et cetera. Um, to the extent that there's no building changes, there's really no budget impact from that perspective. Thank you. I have a presentation question. Um, any information about how transportation times have changed since the closing of Davis there and the need to bus kids from further away compared to maybe the option two scenarios. I'm, I'm asking because my kindergartner gets on the bus at like 7.40 in the morning and doesn't get to school until 8.15. It's a long bus route. Yeah, so so there are some longer bus routes um, and that has been uh, one of the consequences and I think we talked about that um, during that phased process um, throughout that throughout the process of of the DT decision. Um, so yeah, some of our routes are um, longer. Um, there are routes that are, routes change every year uh, based on students that sign up. Students go to different schools every year. Um, so we review them on an annual basis and they will change every year. We try to maintain some level of consistency so parents you know, know that that's probably where the stop is going to be if the same neighborhood kids are still in that same school, <coughs> but but yeah, I would say that that routes have um, increased. Uh, you know, we're also looking to always always be fiscally responsible in terms of having um, um, enough buses for our students and and still running them efficiently. Um, buses hold up to 77 students at the elementary level, uh, and it's really not efficient for us to run buses that are, you know, have 30, 30 to 40 kids in, in, in them. Um, so that also uh, is an impact to the route. And so in option two, do, do we know, like, if routes get, I would assume they're getting more condensed because kids are going closer to where they live, but do you have any, I mean, do we have any information about it? Um, so we would we we don't like right now we're transporting at the elementary level on 26 buses. I would expect that we would probably still need 26 buses. We're you know we're keeping our same students. We're just moving them in different places. So so there might be a, a reduced bus at one school that would be added to a different school. So that would be some of that impact in, in um, option number two. Thank you. Could Back to scenario three for the buffer zone, I was hearing some questions about sort of related to transportation as far as like, like some adjustments are, you know, 0.7 miles, some are 2.1 miles, and sort of just wondering, I know that we don't have the numbers and all the adjustments right this moment, but but if we're if we're saying we can't provide transportation in the buffer zone, we need to make sure it's within the two miles, right? So I think like 
like there must be just a couple, I don't know, somebody was telling me there's a couple addresses that were like 2.1, 2.2 within the buffer zone. So I think that's something that we want to flush out. Right. So that we did, we did talk about this once oh, okay. in policy. Right. So if uh, and, and we have like if we had a scenario today, uh, some issue that we needed to work with the family on, particularly around our move. Uh, the dis so if you we, we are saying we are assigning you to a school or you have a bus that will pick you up and drop you off. If you if you were uh, requesting and then approved in this scenario, all based on what the final decisions are, but if you were approved to attend the school um, in a different attendance area, we're saying that uh, you would be responsible. If, if, if you need transportation and you're being provided it at Keller, in this example, we would, we would continue to provide that for you at Keller, but if you're opting to go to a different school, in most of those buffer zone <coughs> scenarios, we try to be thoughtful around their proximity to a different school and try to be cognizant of the, the school closure in 2021. Trying to think about like how we how we uh, looked at those zones, but ultimately, um, distance-wise, if you chose to optional, and that's in our policy as well. I think it's JFAR. I think um, it says that um, you're responsible. It doesn't talk about distance, but if you're choosing and requesting to go to a different school and it was approved, transportation is on you. Right. Okay. Thank you for asking. Yeah. It's yeah. Clarity. Right. Yeah. So, are there any other questions before we just like talk through kind of the next steps? So, what we'll do, uh, we have in the story map at the end, you might have seen as an inactive survey um, that's in there now. But ultimately, we're going to open that up. And in there, it talks about option one, option two, option three. There's some selections that you make towards, like, does it meet the guiding principles? But we also left some narrative in there, too, so you're not totally locked in on, I want to say something about the soil, um, so that you can provide that. Um, you also have the redistricting analysis email um, that you can send any type of longer type information that you wish to. We're really trying to push people to the survey so that we can gather, collect data, to have kind of data, but also recognize that there's some uh, written word that needs to be conveyed, I'm sure, along the way. Um, the survey is live now. Oh, awesome. Yes. Awesome. So that, that's live in there. Um, in this, this will be posted to the website. We also just provided uh, just another resource. So the map, the survey, and then our website. So they all kind of interconnect, but it's just a way for you to be able to, to fill out that information. So uh, we want to thank you for, for showing up and taking an interest in this and asking really good questions. I know that we take this seriously. Um, we provided this night. It could have been one person, it could have been 100, but we were prepared to come up and share information. We'll do it again virtually. And uh, I thought some of the questions that we heard were things that have already, already kind of some of the wheels are turning in my brain. So that's why we do these things. And, uh, we're committed to this process and trying to put forth a really thoughtful recommendations to the committee. So I encourage you to fill out the survey as well, in addition to what you would And I appreciate you showing up when you could have gone to a basketball game, you could have gone to a concert, you could have gone to a DECA uh, practice, um, and or a community preservation uh, meeting. So we appreciate that you spent uh, time with us today and made that choice. Thank you. Bye, thanks. Yeah. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you.
We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.